you believe it's September already? For my family, this is kind of the beginning, well, August is the beginning of just all the birthdays. So every month, there's someone in our family who's celebrating a birthday. Uh, mine is this month, and next month, um, it's Isla's, my, my youngest, and then uh, Adeline's is in December, my mom's is in November, so a lot of parties are going to be uh, happening, but um, usually by this time, as when I remember as a kid, I thought that September meant the weather would change, and it's just not the case. Um, so I'm hoping for some, some cooler weather at some point. My dad... Uh, he's in the air, air conditioning business, and it's just crazy um, the amount of work that he has. I needed to learn that trade because he he does well. So, um, thank you for joining us on uh, a long weekend. You could have been anywhere, um, but you chose to worship with us, so we are are thankful. Um, and it's not by coincidence, I believe, that you're here today, and that this message. Um, that God has placed on Warehouse um, is an accident either. So I want to start with a question. Have you ever felt like you have missed out on an opportunity? An opportunity of a lifetime. And, And maybe for you it was a job that you didn't take or you say, man, I, that was the one. Or maybe that opportunity was a relationship that you say, man, that's the one that I got away, that got away and, and, and you, just, you just, just feel like that was your shot to take. Or any opportunity when it came to decisions on a car, for instance. Buying a car in this climate is horrendous, by the way. We are currently looking for a second vehicle and it is stressful. But for me, I had an opportunity when I was 17 years old, and I missed, I thought I had missed the opportunity of a lifetime. I thought it was the end of the world. This was it. This was the decision that I didn't act on quick enough, and my whole world was going to collapse at 17, and that was the decision to buy the specific motorcycle that I had been looking for. It was a black and yellow Suzuki GSXR 750. But I want to give you a little bit of a background. Despite my whole world falling apart before that, motorcycles were not allowed in the Martinez house. It was not a thing until my dad. My dad would always come home with like a, a different truck that he traded on some job that he did uh, or some deal that he cut. And one day he comes home with a motorcycle. And I knew that that was my entrance, that was my ticket. My dad brought a motorcycle home, so why can't I have one? And so he brought home this, it was a 1994 Yamaha VMAX. And if you know anything about motorcycles, these things were meant to go fast and in a straight line. That's it. They were meant for drag racing. The motors were built so that the power was focused in the middle of the, of the motorcycle so that you wouldn't wheelie. These things were a tank, and they were just meant to go in straight lines. I've seen them put parachutes on the back of these motorcycles because um, they were meant just for drag racing. 
And so my dad brought this motorcycle home, and, and he wanted to get into it. And I think there was some, uh, some other friends um, that were into um, riding motorcycles at the time. And so I begged, and I said, can I get my license? Please, please, please. Uh, I, in a way, I thought, man, that's not fair. How come my dad gets a motorcycle? And I have been talking about wanting to get one for so long. Well, my dad's like, well, you don't have the money for one, so that's why you don't have one. So finally, they agreed to let me try and get my motorcycle license. And my dad said, you can get uh, your license if you learn on this motorcycle and you pass the test on, on this bike. And it, it was hard because if you've taken the test, you've kind of got to go and swerve through stuff. And you want a smaller bicycle to do it, but I, a bike. But I got on this thing and I learned and I took it out when he didn't even know. I dropped the bike in the garage. He doesn't know that yet. And if he's watching or if he's here, now you know I dropped your motorcycle. I'm very sorry about that. Um, but I picked it back up. I, I looked for scratches. I think it was fine. Um, but I took my test. I passed. And I was ready to get this motorcycle. I wanted it. Um, I had been saving money for it. And, and um, my dad would make me cut the grass on Sundays. And, and what I would do is I would, I would mow the lawn. And back then, uh, there wasn't Facebook Marketplace or anything like that. Uh, we would go, you could go online, but it wasn't really well, well, well done like it is now. And I would go down to the, the local gas station. I would walk, and I'd go get a magazine called Cycle Trader. And I would get this magazine, and I'd look, and I'd be searching. And you know, like, the good ads were the ones that were in color. Those were extra, you had to pay extra to, to put the ad uh, in color. And there it was, the black and yellow, GSXR 750. It was, it was a 2005, and I'm like, this is it. This is my bike. And so I, I told my parents, you know, I had to get their approval. I was 17, and they kept giving me the runaround. And I'm like, this is not fair. You said I could get this motorcycle. So after a few days of pleading and begging and trying to convince them, to let me go and do this, do this. My mom caves. She's the one, of course, if you know Hispanic mothers, uh, they're very protective. And she was fearful and she was, I think, mad at my dad that he got a motorcycle because she knew what that meant. And finally she caved and I make the call and the guy said, I just sold it yesterday. My world was over. This was the only Suzuki motorcycle they've ever made in my mind. There'll never be another one. This became a common occurrence. I would see a motorcycle and I think this was the only one. Little did I know that Suzuki made thousands of these and there would be one that I would eventually find. And I ended up getting my, my bike and that's a whole nother story for another day. On uh, Some of you have heard me tell the stories of when I had a motorcycle and um, long story short, I had to sell it before something bad happened to me. So I no longer own one. And my wife said, you can have a motorcycle up until we have children and you'll never be able to get one again. So I missed also that opportunity. But I wonder how many opportunities are given to us that maybe for good or bad, we end up missing. And maybe you're thinking, man, I can really pinpoint a time in my life where I have missed a chance. Where maybe it was a potential friendship, or like I said earlier, a potential job. For me, I can think of plenty of opportunities that I have missed. And taking a little bit further, opportunities where I had the chance to tell someone about the person who saved my life, 
Jesus. The phrase, take your shot, is a, is a common phrase used nowadays. And it really, the, the, the definition of it is to be brave and having the audacity to do something even when it's not in our, nat- in our nature. Shooting your shot takes motivation. It means you only have one chance to do something before you lose that chance. What opportunities has God spoken to you that you just didn't receive? Maybe you were distracted. Maybe you weren't in a place to receive that and you realize it now. Man, God was really handing me something in that moment. We're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts 8, as we have been. And uh, if you've been reading during the week and you've been having, you have a Bible, you uh, the book of Acts in your Bible should be like almost destroyed because of how much we've been in it since January. Acts 8, and we're going to be in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 26. And this is an interesting story, and I'm going to read the first few, first few verses. It's about Philip and the Ethiopian, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road. That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch. An important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki. And and, um, in another version it's, it's, it's pronounced Candace. Which means the queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So here we have the next chapter, the next story in the early church. And what we have is one man, Philip, and another one who is identified as the Ethiopian eunuch. In the book of Acts... There are four different, up until chapter 9, there are four different groups of people that we see that God intentionally approaches. And in Scripture, we see four different types. And the first one is, you have the outsiders. The ones who feel like, man, they don't belong. They're kind of on the bubble and and there's things happening without them. And, And maybe there are some who feel like that right now in this room. You've come here and you feel like you just, you really don't belong, like you're just, you maybe you were dragged here. And our prayer in warehouses that no one ever feels that way, but the reality is there are a lot of us, whether living either here in this moment or in other places of our lives where we feel like we are the outsiders. Then it's the one searching. That's the other group of people. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. The other two, Pastor Mark is going to talk about the third one next week. And that's the hyper-religious one. The fourth one is those who look like they've been completely counted out. There's no hope for this one. Maybe they've made that decision in their heart where they say, I have gone too far. My community, I feel, has counted me out. God I've given up on God and there's no way that I can return. But what we'll find out is that all of these four groups of people in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is actively pursuing. And so what we know is that uh, that the Ethiopian eunuch is actively 
searching. Walking in rhythm with Jesus is a constant check to make sure that you're still walking in the same direction. And when it came to Philip, Philip was in the same stride, in the same motion with the Holy Spirit. And he would, he would ask God, where should I go next? And so the Holy Spirit, an angel, it's beautiful. It says an angel came and touched his heart and he tells him to go south. And this was different than what he was doing at the time. He was in a good rhythm, in a good motion, but he was open to where God was going to lead him. And this was his opportunity to do something different. And his heart and his ears and his mind were open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And he says, go south. So he's obedient to the call. He capitalizes on this opportunity. And he doesn't know where he's going exactly. But he's open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. What we have here is the story of a conversion of an Ethiopian eunuch. And what, this is what we know about him is if you don't know what eunuch is, you can look it up. If I have some giggles, I know what you know what that means. But it has to do with being castrated, although there are physical bodily ones that um, Scripture alludes to, it, and there are different ones. But in this case, we know that he's longing to be a man of God. He's searching and he's reading Scripture and he is worshiping. So we have some identifiers that tell us that he is somewhat chasing after something and he's looking for answers. So he's longing to be a man of God. He's longing to make a commitment at some point. He's very important. He's in charge of the treasury, and, and, and my understanding, and from what I've known, is these, these people, these men, they did pretty well. Whenever anyone handles money or is in charge of finances, they're, they're not starving. So he's doing pretty well in his life. You would think that he has a lot of his life together, and he doesn't have much need for anything, would be the assumption, but he is actively searching for something more. And he's obviously trustworthy. He's over all the finances of the queen. And he's given a lot of responsibility. So these are the things that we know about this man. He hasn't completely made a decision to follow this man, Jesus. There had been a lot of rumblings and words gotten around. And so he knows about a little about this. And what he's reading is Isaiah 53. Scripture is fulfilled... In this man, what many believe is in uh, Psalm 68, 31, it talks about this. It's another Old Testament passage pointing to something that's going to happen. It says, an Ethiopian shall soon stretch out her hand. One of those first nations is Ethiopia, and they will stretch their hand out unto God. And many believe that this is the moment where this, where God begins to make this a reality it says, princes shall come forth out of Egypt, and Ethiopia shall soon stretch forth her hands unto God. And so Philip approaches this man who's obviously looking for attention. He's reading scripture out loud. I don't know how many of you sit in your chariot or whatever that, that, uh, that looks like for you. 
and read scripture out loud for other people to hear you, but he's looking for answers and he's reading it out loud, wondering what exactly it means. And it's interesting that he's reading Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So Philip approaches this man who's looking for some form of attention and he they start a conversation and he asks, hey, what are, you, what are you reading? At this point, Philip already knows what he's reading. He's heard it. It's understood. But instead of answering the question or giving him context to that, he begins with a question to form a relationship with this Ethiopian. He could have easily said, hey, let me tell you what this means, what you're reading And let me bring you to Jesus. But he asks a question to begin to form a relationship with this man. And he asks, do you know what it means? The man says, no, I I don't know what it means because no one has ever taken the time to tell me what it means. No one has taken the time to build a relationship to explain to me what the suffering servant actually is about and immediately the thought occurred to me that there are so many searching and no one has taken the time to form a relationship with them so many people around in this room today are searching and we have not taken the time to ask questions to build relationships to find out who are the hurting outside of this room in our communities there are people searching people that are hurting and what's beautiful about this is that Philip takes him from the suffering servant to the story of Jesus the gospel the good news and walks him through everything builds a relationship takes the time to walk and journey with this man this is for the believers in the room here today We've challenged all of you, and it's in our DNA to have spiritual conversations with one another. We do table Sabbath, we do home church, and that's the, it's with intention that we do that so that our, our conversations go below the surface, go below of, hey, how's your day today? But how's your soul? How's your heart? Where are you at with God? But no one's ever taken the time in this story to explain the story of Jesus to this eunuch. But what do our conversations look like in our everyday life? What do they look like with the people we work with, with the people we live with, our best friends that we think we're close to? Are we having heart-to-heart, deep soul conversations and wondering where the accountability is with one another? And it goes beyond that. I've always said, if you're preaching Daniel and Revelation and it doesn't end with Jesus, you're preaching it wrong. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard on those two books. And the name of Jesus is never mentioned. But this book from beginning to end is about Jesus. It's always been and always will be about Jesus. Jesus. Our conversations 
maybe not in our words, but in our actions, our body language, the way we treat others should always reflect Jesus. When that one person cuts you off on the road, or maybe that parent in the pickup line at school cuts you off to get their kid first because they're the only kid that matters. Speaking from experience, I have a kid in school now. Maybe you're in here, maybe you're not, but someone cut me off. I know the car, so. But what goes through your heart? What happens in moments that you get upset, someone does you wrong, disrespects you? Are your thoughts, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus in these moments. People are searching like never before. And there is a lack of understanding in this life, right now in this generation, when it comes to three things, identity, purpose, and belonging. And one, I think you had asked me to speak a few years ago now, um, and specifically on these things, and it's still an issue. People don't know what their identity is. They're struggling to find out who they're meant to be, where they belong, and what their purpose is in this life. Graduates are jumping from job to job. People, in, uh, kids in school and in and, and, and college are jumping from major to major, just trying to figure out what they're meant to do. There is a crisis where people are just trying to figure it out. And in the world we live in now, it's just become so much harder. Last week we had, uh, I believe it was last week, night of worship on Friday night. And if you weren't here, he missed out. Hope you can join us on the next one. But Pastor Mark and I were down here. And afterwards we just made an, an appeal to pray for people who were in need. And I can't tell you the amount of people who had issues with anxiety, with fear, with carrying the burdens of their families, their loved ones, of the stress of their own life, the pressure that they're receiving at work. People are stressed, they're tired, they're anxious. Person after person, that was the common theme, and Pastor Mark and I talked, and we both found that that was the majority of the people that we prayed with were dealing with that and looking for answers, searching for the answer that could just solve everything in their life. People are searching. People are hurting. It wouldn't be inaccurate of me to believe that a lot of that is happening in this room right now. Maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're just super anxious. You don't know why you're here. It says Philip right there in Isaiah 53 goes from there to Jesus. He takes it from the Old Testament to the New and tells them this is why. This is why this servant suffered. And it's talking about Jesus, the one who went through it all. And it's interesting that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading that specific chapter and book. 
Maybe he was going through some suffering of his own, trying to find something that he could identify with in Scripture. I know for me, whenever I'm struggling or going through something or in need of a word, I find something in Scripture that is specific for my situation. Could it have been that this influencer, this man who was in high authority, who was trustworthy, who made good money, who was in a good place, was suffering and trying to find some identity in Scripture. Now, the influencer becomes a living testimony for Jesus. Right there, he says, there's, a, there's water right here. I want to be baptized. After he hears the story of Jesus, the good news, he's heard rumors and murmurings of it, but now someone was sent for him specifically, and he wants to give his life to Christ. It's after that that he hears the story that this baptism takes place, and Paul talks about baptism in Romans And he equates it to a burial where you're completely consumed and brought back to new life. Now the influencer becomes a testimony, a living testimony for Jesus. For the sake of one man, God sends an angel to Philip and tells him where he must go next. This is how precious each of you are. To God. This is how much he values you. That for one, one person he will send out his people for the chance that they might accept the gift of salvation. He commands Philip to withdraw from a populous region of Samaria to the desolate road of Gaza. Philip is entrenched in the city So much opportunity there, so many people. He could preach to the masses, but instead God pulls him out, sends him on a desert road for one soul, one man. That is how much one soul means to God. We know the story of the lost sheep, and this is somewhat uh, an example of, of the value that God puts in just one. The lost sheep, in a way, was also searching. And he leaves to find that one. We've been talking a lot about, in our leadership meetings, about ministry metrics. As Pastor Mark brought it up and called and we had a conversation a few months ago, what ministry metrics look like and how we define success at warehouse and and should it just be numbers? How do we define that? How do we make that tangible? Because we need some sort of barometer to, to really check ourselves, how we can be better, what things we can do better, what things we need to change, what things we just need to kill. And we said, what does that look like? How do we measure that and does it go beyond just numbers we've come to the realization 
that if numbers is our only indication, then Jesus failed. This is a story, an example of what discipleship looks like. Jesus discipled 12. If numbers is our only metric, then if we looked at Jesus, he failed. But he was doing something right. He was on to something when he was specific and intentional with these 12. Years later, we still hear about these stories, the success of the ministry, the best leader who ever lived, and how he did it. Because every person mattered. He, he didn't care about the masses, although he preached to them. But he wanted to get to the heart of each person. And here, God takes one of his. This is his opportunity, Phillips, to leave the city, the masses, for just one. And maybe he thought, man, this is useless. This is not valuable because it's just one person, but that's how it starts. Each and every one of us, if we just started with one, the impact would be incredible. If we just shared the story of Jesus with one person, if we started with one, the impact would be incredible. Your experience and your investment may not end up like Philip's, or you talk, tell, talk someone through the beginning to the end, the story of Jesus, the redemption story, the fall of man, go through it all, and you take them and lead them into baptism and you, act, you actually see that happen. But that's okay. Because it's not about us. We don't do the converting. The Holy Spirit through us converts the heart of the broken, of the sinner. God uses us like Philip to approach, to be bold, to take our shot, to not miss out on our opportunity to share the story of Jesus. And maybe you're that person that's searching right now that has questions. What's next? What do I do next? I have all these questions. I, have, I haven't even made a decision to follow Jesus, but I got questions. What is your next step? But if you're that person who is in a place to share the story of Jesus and you've done that and, and multiple times and you've never seen the outcome, you can talk to Pastor Mark about how many high schoolers he's sent off and really haven't, hasn't heard anything of and once in a while someone will come back to him and say it's because of what you did the story of Jesus that you shared with me in high school that I gave my life to Christ 20 years later. My wife, when we were dating, I was a moron. And uh, I don't know how or why she stayed with me. But I remember her telling me this in our first year of dating. She told me, if all I am here to do is to prepare you for the next person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, then I'm okay with that. If God has sent me here 
just to make you a better man for your future wife, then that's my calling. Right then, I was like, I'm done searching. I'm, I, I, I'm, it's over. Lord, can we get married right now? But sometimes God calls us just to be a stepping stone for someone else. That's the opportunity to risk it, to make ourselves un- uncomfortable, to share the gospel story with someone else. And we may never know what happens, but that's not our job. Our job is to be obedient, to listen to God's voice, to take over, to take advantage of that opportunity in our life. And we are faced with it each and every day. You can probably look back on your week and see how many missed opportunities you could have had. But this conversion story is special because this man gives his life to Christ right then and there. Every interaction we have has the potential opportunity for someone to experience Jesus. To get those burdens taken down. To feel the rhythms of grace. To experience a God who's saying, leave it at my feet. The anxiety, the stress, the hurt. Just recently, I had a conversation with someone who I have been journeying with on and off for four years. And this person's been struggling with drug abuse and social decisions and where they go. Been pretty open with me about it. And we've had hours of conversation at a, at a coffee shop and over the phone and during the pandemic, FaceTime. And I hadn't heard from this individual in a long time. And I get a call two weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, I haven't heard from them in a while. And it's a call to say, Pastor Juan, I want to give my life to Christ. I don't care what it costs. I'm ready to listen to what he has to tell me. That was her opportunity. The Spirit was speaking to her. She felt something inside of her, and it was time. She didn't miss it. She wanted to give her life to Christ. If I would have given up because it was just one person, maybe I would have missed God's voice in my life to impact this individual. And maybe you're that person in here today, and maybe you feel something in your chest. The butterflies in your stomach, that's the Holy Spirit. Maybe you feel like it's time to make a decision. God has given you, he's extending his hand to you for the opportunity to give your life to him. If you feel uncomfortable, he's talking to you. Maybe you're that person who knows that you need to have a conversation with somebody to give them that opportunity, to give them that permission to give their life to Jesus. Every interaction has the potential for an opportunity of salvation. So here's mine. If you're the one who's searching, 
you feel like you've been counted out or you've gone just far, far away and you haven't made that decision, I want to give you an opportunity. Just a moment, they'll be on the screen a texting number 94,000. And if this is you and you want to make that decision and the spirit is just on you and you feel something that has been tugging at your heart and your next step is I want to give my life to Christ, we want you to text next step in one word with your name to 94,000. We're not going to make a call to come forward, but all of you have cell phones. And maybe you don't want, you want to talk to somebody. Pastor Mark and I, we will be here to talk with you. What is your next step? Three years ago, when we started Upper Room. That was the challenge. What is your next step? How can we walk with you to take that? This next step is specific for you to give your life to Christ. To say, I'm done. I want this off of me. I'm in need of saving. I'm broken. I've gone too far. I'm searching. I want to know about Jesus. Next step to 94,000 is what we want you to do. And we will follow up with you and we will journey with you and we will help you take that next step. What I told this individual who has who's made that decision is it doesn't get easier after baptism. In fact, the devil knows that he's losing another one to Jesus. If you look at the story of when Jesus is baptized, the next thing he goes into is a desert moment and he is tempted. But here's the beautiful thing. Jesus has won. Jesus has overcome. Jesus is concerned about your life. About your life. He wants you. And he's willing to send anyone, anything to make you feel that, to know that you matter to him. God sent Philip for just one because Philip knew and was obedient to his call. And God knew that every single soul was valued in his heart. You are valued to God, no matter how big this world is and whatever's going on, he wants you. Goodness and mercy will follow you until you give your life to Christ, but it's a decision that you have to make. Second call is if you are the one who is a believer, who's given your life to Christ, my challenge to you is to take that next step, share the name of Jesus to somebody. Maybe that someone has been put on your heart today. Maybe you've been thinking about it and just haven't taken the opportunity. Shoot your shot. Tell that person about Jesus, about what he's done in your life. We were meant to have spiritual conversations with each other. In a moment, I'm just going to have a word of prayer and we're going to sing one song. And if God, the Holy Spirit, tugs on your heart, Open your phone, text your name, and next step to 94,000, we would love 
for you to make that decision today. You are valued. You are loved. He died for you. And the opportunity is yours to give your life to him today. Father God, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you move heaven and earth for us. That no matter how far we've gone and what, what position we're in, where we are in the midst of our searching, you will find us there. You will chase after us. God, I pray that your spirit be in this place and that we respond to your calling, whether just to come back home, to rededicate our lives to you or do it for the first time or to go out in faith like Philip to make time for that person that you put on our heart to share the story of Jesus. In these next few moments, God, may your spirit be poured out. God, we thank you that you're a God of second chances, a God who doesn't give up, and a God who has won the battle. In Christ's name we pray, amen.